The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. I'm so glad to see you, hear you, uh, be with you in the in the new year. Um, today, I have a new friend that I met at uh, the MCN conference. Those of you who listen regularly know that I was just so taken and am so taken with the Museum Computer Network organization and conference, and I met so many wonderful people there. And so we've been having a lot of guests uh, from that conference, but it also just reflects what I feel is critically important Uh is understanding how uh, digital technologies, how this moving technical world that we live in is really affecting uh, museums, not only in our relationship with our community, but our internal relationships with each other and our staffs. Uh, There have been so many new jobs created, I would say, in the last five years, jobs with titles and responsibilities that none of us really could have even imagined five years ago. And so I think we need to take a cue from that and realize that five years from now, there will even be newer jobs with newer uh, responsibilities that allow us to keep pace with this uh, really rapidly moving world that, that we live in. And so with that as an introduction, I want to introduce you to my guest today. His name is Matthew Tarr. I met him at the conference, sitting next to him at a... Uh, you know, typical session. I noticed him right away because there aren't too many people I know that wear not one but two Apple watches or smart watches. Uh, maybe Matthew, you can talk a little bit about about that, not to put you on the spot. But got to know Matthew and was just so impressed with his knowledge of the field. And it turns out that Matthew is the director of digital architecture at the American Museum of Natural History. Uh, clearly, there was not a director of digital architecture. Uh, Fifth. 10 years ago, so I think that this is really a wonderful opportunity for us to get to know Matthew and get to know what's going on at uh, the American Museum. So, Matthew, welcome to the show today. Wow, thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Uh, So, Matthew, uh, please 
share your career path with our audience. And um, particularly, I'm interested in how you landed your first museum job. Well, that's... um I mean, if we go all the way back, it's it, it can be a long story. If we if we just start um, at the museum job, it's a it's a pretty short story. So, um, but I I was always into technology growing up. My my dad was in the military. We had computers in the house. Um, I um, I was in college and uh, finishing up my last semester uh, in an anthropology degree. And I, um, but I was working full time off campus and had been since I was probably 16, and I was not focused on my studies. So I decided I wanted to go to grad school though in that last year, and I, I needed to pull my grades up a bit. So I reached out to my um, my community and I said I need a, I need one of those student jobs, and it was the sort of first bubble, early mid 90s, and. Uh, there was a lot of work to be had converting gopher sites to HTML sites for those old timers out there. And um, so I started doing that um, and uh, graduated. And, and, but but in, in the time that I was doing that, I was exposed to all of these things in this budding Internet thing, and I fell in love. And I started to pick up a little bit of programming chops here and there. And, um, and I ended up postponing grad school because I was having so much fun doing this Internet stuff. And... I um so what I tried to quit a couple of times and they kept giving me raises because I would you know I would learn a new technology or a new uh, a new capability and I uh, so all all of a sudden I had a career in uh, web application development and uh, database administration and all, all sorts of sort of I basically just fell into being a sort of a full stack developer and um, and managing some servers which was great fun I really really enjoyed it and. Um, so then I happened to know a certain programming language and a friend of mine who had grown up in and around New York City from the anthro- and, and we knew each other from the anthropology world um, saw an ad at the American Museum of Natural History for a programmer that knew the language that I knew and um, he told me about it and I said, hmm. So I reached out and I spent about a year um, hounding the woman who was hiring for the position and um, she, I, I said, look, put me in the local stack. Don't pretend that I'm in Florida. Uh, put me in the local stack, and I will. I'll figure out how to get there and and whatnot. And uh, you know, weeks later, I get a call from her. She's like, so I, um, you know, you're you're definitely at the top of the list. I wonder if you can come in Monday and meet with the with the bosses. And I said, sure. It was Thursday. I said, I'll. Um, I gotta find some airfare. And she goes, oh right, right. I said, forget it. I'll see you Monday, 10 a.m. So. I showed up and I started work here at the museum in 2000. Uh, February 1st was my uh, my first day, and in a few weeks I will celebrate 17 years here. Um, not in one job, obviously, but um, certainly um, I've said I'm never leaving until they carve my name into something harder than my own skull. So um, I'm here to stay, as far as I can tell. I hope, but well, not not forever necessarily, but for the you know. For the foreseeable right. future, uh, I say. yeah, the the, fu- the future is always something that that we you know uh, we make plans and and the universe laughs. But uh, right. no, I, I understand exactly what you're saying and what could be a better better place. The only better place I can think of it, is uh, is maybe the Smithsonian with all the <laughs> tools and fun things yeah. and great opportunities. No, no. And 
email the scale is you- massive. That is for sure. The scale is. I mean, we, it is. It is a huge museum. I should also clarify, just for those who are who are in this industry and, and interested, is that living in New York is not cheap. And so, for probably eight of the last sixteen years, um, not so much in the last three or four years, um, but I was heavily, heavily moonlighting and working in private sector to sort of, uh, you know, because museums move more slowly probably rightly so, but so I was able to scratch those itches, make a little money, and, and get, gain valuable experience, which then I brought back to my work here, you know, with, uh, you know, Facebook apps and, like, all the sort of rapid change in the in the world was, was I was able to sort of engage with. So I'm a big fan of side projects. I uh, just wanted to say that for anybody, you know, who's thinking career stuff. You know, Matthew, thank you so very, very much um, for for mentioning uh, that. Uh, you know, I had Nick Honeyset on the uh, on the show uh, at the end of, of last year, and um, yeah, yeah. he and I were talking too about. Uh, he and I both mentor a lot of, um, you know, early mid-career professionals, as I'm sure you were beginning to do. And and Nick said that one piece of advice that he always gives emerging professionals, uh, you know, who want to to be in this field is is one be willing to move. Um, and I think that your your uh, story really exemplifies that. Uh, you know, you're willing to do what it takes. But I'm really. Um, uh, Please that you mention the the other issue in the museum field, which is salary, uh, and uh, and I know that that's a challenge for many. And I do suppose that in your corner of the the museum world, with this technology knowledge, that you are able to do side projects. Not and as you say, not only do they you know help with the practicalities of life, but you just gain that much more experience. It's sort of like being consultant. I, I work around the world and gain knowledge from a variety of sources that I bring back to every new client I have. And it sounds as if that's, you know, the approach that you can take too. I think it's fabulous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, and you got to do a lot of cool things and meet a lot of cool people and make connections out into the world. And, you know, it really, I, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of, you know, the, the museum community can be quite insular. It's, it's really, I mean, I've, I've listened to a couple of the podcasts, and I know Nick, and um, fan, big fan, big fan. Um, but uh, it's just really, you know, sometimes it's actually, it can be frustrating to go to conferences and hear all these brilliant people talking about things that, you know, that we're all thinking about and, and knowing that, um, that real change takes takes time um, and so if you're going to stick with a com- uh, you know with a career in the in the museum industry for a long time especially when I was younger and I was really itchy as a developer like you want to use these f- fancy new tools I could go out and scratch that itch and use this fancy new tool and learn all these great things and then come back and and do the work you know do God's work you know what I mean come, the museum stuff you know um, without the same strain of having to try to convince the museum to take advantage of, you know, Ruby on Rails or whatever, whatever the the technology du jour is. Yeah, that they, you know, that that really is. I'm going to to really remember that that perspective. Um, so let's move on. As you know, um, all of my muse, uh, MCN colleagues get this question, and you're part of that batch, so you get the question too. What does mm-hmm. digital? Yep, I, you knew that this was coming. <laughs> so what does digital mean to you? How do you define? That? So I actually wrote um, I wrote a couple of notes, and on this one I just put the opposite of analog, and I think um, 
the reason I did that was because it just it's this catch-all. It's really, um, you know, obviously digital refers to things that are digitized, um, but I think more and more we just use it as um, things that are not a physical um, or analog. And um, you know, it's um, I listened to your podcast with the gentleman from Guru uh, who talked about it as you know I think potential and promise and things like that, and certainly it, it is all those things. Um, but it really is just, um, it's most useful, you know, definition for me is just the not physical. And I, you know, we joke because so many of the people around here now have digital on their, on their business card. And, um, our goal ought to be that, um, every, eventually everybody has digital on their business card and then we can all take it off on the same day, you know? Because it, everything is becoming digital. Every every touch point that a, a visitor has with the museum is is the, there's a better and better chance over time that that touch point is a digital touch point, not a physical one. You know, um, we still obviously have physical museums. We still have physical docents. We still have physical people selling tickets and, and visitor services reps and things like that. Um, but more and more people have they come in with an expectation, and we're able to sort of meet that expectation to let that stuff happen in a digital way. So it it you know for me it's just really useful to as, as a distinction between the physical to be honest with you I guess well I think I think that 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 adds to our growing list of of what this this mushy world what this mushy word means I yeah. I I think that for uh, for some of us old timers the it, it's very difficult to break out of the box of the museum being the physical place mm-hmm. and making, you know, and and oftentimes just bridging the physical and the digital because I don't think any of us in the field think that the that the physical in some ways needs to go away. You know, the collections, the physical I manifestations of humanity, uh, you, you know, is 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 critically in, in important because those are, you know, I've, as a scientist, I've always said they're the data points. You, know, yeah. you can you can fudge a lot of things, but you can't fudge those those uh, voucher specimens and and those original things. And you go back to them and you learn more. But but I um, I think that's that's really why I'm so intrigued with your job in particular and where you are in particular. Because let's face it, the American Museum of Natural History is sort of that touchstone of the physical stuff. Mm. Yes, very imposing. It is a it is a very imposing physical space, and I think actually it, it, that one of the things that I say when I talk about, um, and I know we'll talk about the work I do, but at some point, uh, at some point anyway. But one of the things I talk about a lot is that you could have an event here at the museum. Let's say that it's a uh, uh, mommy bloggers talking about. Um, the biome and cooking, right? So this is a cooking event where there's a little bit of science being talked about and it's, you know, and it's inside the museum. And the fact that you have to walk up these stairs and through these thick walls and into this place, right, there's no question that you are at a Museum of Natural History event, right? Um, it is branded by its presence. You're, 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 you're touched by it. You're experiencing it. It's, it's visceral and physical and and very real, and you leave thinking, "Wow, I just had a, a fantastic experience because of and at the American Museum of Natural History." Right, and that's important to us for longevity's sake that people know what we do and, and that it's important. But we could take our one of our premier scientists, right? One of these, 
one of these, um, Mark Norell goes to the Gobi Desert, Dr. Norell, um, and we could uh, interview him in the desert in front of a find, right? Put that out on YouTube. And if we're not really careful with how we explain and brand and make sure that it's clear where this comes from and, and who this is and where he does his work, then that, that really important point will be lost, right? Because nobody knows once it once it hits YouTube, nobody's looking for the lower lower third to be like, wait a minute, was that a Nat Geo video? Was that a who who's that video? Who do I give credit to in my head for like having brought this amazing stuff to me? So we just have to deal with that as we as we proliferate out onto these pure digital channels. We need to understand that that our work is is one to get the message out, and two to maintain our ability to continue to get the message out over time, which means we need to retain some sort of brand loyalty, building identity, things like that. So, anyway, that was a bit of a tangent, but it is it is this digital, you know, physical or analog thing, and how they how they differ and how they feed off of each other and support each other. That's great. Uh, thank you. Uh, that that also, I think, brings up a, a really an, uh, an important issue that maybe doesn't get enough uh, time and discussion. Uh, but before we f- we go further, and I do want to talk more about what you're doing uh, at the American Museum of Natural History and how you're balancing some of these things, we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, more with Matthew Tarr and the work he does at the American Museum of Natural History. And uh, so stay tuned. I'm sure you are enjoying this as much as I, I am. So we will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. 
To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. Uh, you're listening to Museum Life, and today I am talking with Matthew Tarr, a gentleman that I met at the MCN conference uh, in November of 2016. Matthew is the Director of Digital Architecture at the American Museum of Natural History, and right before break, we were talking about, uh, maybe not the irony, but, but Matthew was pointing out the challenges of uh, and Matthew, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but really making sure that we maintain the context of the uh, of the museum when material goes out into the digisphere. Uh, you know, it's one thing to have that sense of place when we climb the steps, when we go into these marvelous buildings, whether it's, uh, you know, old uh, 19th century architecture or a brand new uh, 21st century building. It gives us a sense of where we are, but that sense needs to be conveyed uh, when when material goes goes out uh, uh, and can lose some of that. So, Matthew, I think that's a really great way of sort of jumping off uh, and talking a little bit more about your job. Uh, you mentioned in the intro that you've had a couple of jobs, uh, probably different job titles, since uh, you're, you're now celebrating almost 17 years with the museum. So why don't you tell us what your current job title means and then sort of maybe how long it developed you know how long it's been there and how long it developed and how you worked your way up sure so um so i am the director of digital architecture which um, was actually i think a remnant of the way that the museum handles titling so it's a director level position um, but sort of when we imagined it, it was, uh, it was, quote, digital architect was the title. So I often just say, yeah, digital architect. But, you know, in certain rounds, it's important for people to understand that this is a director-level position. That means something. Um, a different, different, different museums have different definitions of director. We have a president who runs the whole museum, and then we have lots of – we have several – um, senior vice presidents and then senior directors and directors and pretty deep organization but uh, and very large organization as you know um, but so um, I started as a uh, as a programmer um, and quickly became sort of a technical producer and then uh, with the advent of flash we started doing a whole lot of that and then uh, really brought interaction design to the fore and uh, I became a senior interactive uh, designer and then um, geez I don't I don't know, several others probably, but but meanwhile, being um, very interested, involved in technology, and working across departmentally, and 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 keeping my focus, I, I hope anyway, on sort of the goals of the museum, and not some of the some of the minutiae, I was able to sort of build rapport with lots of people throughout the building. So when we uh, created the digital group, which is where I am now, which is not terribly old, it's six or seven years old, I think, um, I was I was sort of in on those conversations and part of that. And so, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so um, there was, uh, you know, the first, the, there was, there was, um, 
Well, let's just say that uh, my job description was created and I helped, and it was at the founding of that group, right? So um, it's only been around for, I guess, five years now. I, um, I'm not good with dates sometimes, but so, um, so that is it. It's been five years. I am the first digital architect. I report to the chief digital officer, um, and we all report up to the senior vice president of uh, marketing and communications. Um, but our, you know, but our focus is really on digital strategy and, and things like that. And I actually, because I get this question a lot, I just happen to have in front of me the uh, the job description from the uh, from the HR department. Um, so I think. And, and what does sorry. that say? Well, it's, it's. You don't have to read the whole whole it's, thing. It's pretty that's... short. Let me. Uh, you just cut me off, but it's like a few sentences. The principal responsibility of this position is to study and analyze the latest industry-wide trends in order to bring the best practices back to the museum, thus shaping the dig- the museum's digital roadmap. Um, I work with colleagues across the museum to research and prepare recommendations for creative ways to execute a full range of museum digital products. The director is a key position advising both the chief digital officer and senior vice president and working closely with technical lead to ensure the potential initiatives can be practically and affordably implemented. So, I mean, that that's actually pretty good. Um, it's about strategy. It's about um, understanding what's going on in the world out there. Um, I think, uh, you know, in practice, that's a piece of what I do, obviously, as you can imagine. Um, but um, but that's what the, the architecture side of things is, just this recognition that any digital experience ha- is part of a total experience that is both physical, digital, and also touches many different systems. So there's, it's, we're not at the point anymore where we can just create a touch kiosk and call it a digital experience, right? Like the touch kiosk has to somehow thread through to your ticket buying experience ahead of that. Even if they're not connected, they need to feel of a family. And, and more and more, that, that family needs to include the physical as well as the digital so that there's this seamless movement between these, these experiences, these moments. So. Well, you know, that strikes me as so forward thinking, uh, and it's and it's few institutions, and and of course it's always you know it's it uh, it falls to leading institutions, you know, perhaps not based on size, but clearly as you know, the American Museum of Natural History has that covered as well. Uh, but it sounds to me as if the 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 uh, the president of the institution, the board of the institution, and and other senior management managers have understood that uh, this is an area that needs that kind of a forward, thoughtful strategy. Not, uh, and I would think that that would keep the organization from, you know, toppling or following. Uh, you know what we? I know Nick always calls, and I've I've come to uh, love the term. You know, the bright shiny thing of mm-hmm. the of the day. Uh, you have to, well, one, you have to to prove its worth, but also you have to budget for it. So I would think that that keeps things on a little more even keel. Yeah, no, I can absolutely say that this, that the creation of this group and the museum's willingness to um, to move an insider into the, a position like this uh, has made me, uh, you know terribly proud, but also really reinforced my, um, my, um, my faith in the museum. You know, I mean, it is not, you know, this is hard work that we do here and I'm not going to pretend it's rocket 
science, but it is, well, sometimes it is, I guess, but, um, but it's critically important, especially and obviously in the current sort of climate that we find ourselves in. But um, science literacy, these things are, are terribly important, and, and the museum is a, is a critical role, has a critical role to play in that. And so its continued existence requires that we sort of, yes, understand the, that digital is not going anywhere. Um, I think actually that might be a quote from from Nick, although it's pretty generic. Uh, it's not going anywhere. Get used to it, right? Like, and so absolutely, we have a very forward-thinking president and a forward-thinking board that that really is interested in in the ramifications of technology and the um, abilities that it affords us. The you know the kind of things we can do and the things we have to do. To be perfectly honest with you, right? Because like, expectation out in the world is not stopping. I, I like to I like to give uh, the like the example of like people don't. You know, they don't put their mouse down and pause and take a deep breath and say, okay, now I'm going to the website of a cultural institution. Let me readjust my expectations, right? They're not doing that. They have tabs open on Amazon and tabs open on Netflix and tabs open. And, and then, then they're thinking like, oh, I'm going to go to the museum. And they go to the museum's website. Like, it better fit into that whole, you know, the reality, their reality, which is more and more, you know, technical and more and more digital. So, so we just have this expectation by our constituency that we will be a certain way. It, it needs to be opt-in, of course, which we can talk about later, but you know, you, we, can't, we still need to be a sanctuary for people who are getting away from that stuff, and we still need to be able to tell stories the old-fashioned way. Um, so anyway. No, no, no. I, yeah. I, I, think, I think that that is critically important as well, and you know, it reminds me of oh, you know, Management 101. Uh, I doesn't matter, you know, what kind of organization you're in, but but you know they always talk about management uh, from the inside and then management from the outside, and that you know they create all sorts of Venn diagrams about making sure that things are working internally and then making sure that they're working externally. And the, so the picture you paint for me is this image of you are working both internally to make sure that all of your uh, your programs what I, I love this term you used it's your it's part of a digital family uh, and I'm sure that that's more than just making sure that the typefaces uh, look nice together but then you're Absolutely. also making making sure that that this works externally within that whole uh, world that we swim in on our computers every day, and I don't think that I'd ever really looked at it in those terms. Uh, so that I find that very interesting. Yeah, I mean, there was a, when I came here in 2000, we had um, in our galleries we had a, a project called Science Bulletins, and it was HD video from around the world, and it was current science, and it was a way for us to refresh this, the content in several of the halls. And it was one of the few places in the world you could see HD video. You could go to a Best Buy showroom or you could go to the Museum of Natural History. And now, 16 years later, the, the two phones that I carry in my pocket have you know, nearly four times the pixels of those. So it's, um, you know, the people are coming in with a better screen than we can put on the walls. Like, we can't even buy anything larger than 4K, and the 4K that's available now, 4K meaning, you know, super high-definition screens, um, it's, you know, it's expensive, it's not that great, it's, you know, there's just so much, it's so much that's happening for for people, consumers, you know, pe- whatever we call, you know, civilians, <laughs> that as they become visitors of our museums, they're bringing all that with them, especially the expectations. So, 
Um, it doesn't mean we have to have like Xboxes sprinkled all around the museum, but we have to not you know, be oblivious to the fact that they just came from home where they have an Xbox and their Xbox is looking back at them and they're, they're playing Dance Dance Revolution or whatever, you know, uh, Machine Vision. And so anyway, it's, um, yeah, there's a reality out there we have to be very, very cognizant of. And, and I think that you raise an, I remember those HD videos, by the way, and uh, did spend a lot of time uh, staring at them, thinking that they were so so fabulous, and they still are, and the content is still unbelievable. Right. That that, uh, that will always be there, but the, the delivery uh, will change. And I, you know, I honestly think that this maybe was the first year, you know, year that just passed, that the, the, what do I, how do I want to put this? I think most museums, uh, museum directors and colleagues that I've been, been talking with have finally gotten over this hurdle that you clearly and, and American Museum has is, is clearly already come to, which is we're not going to change it. We can't just whine and say, oh, we're nonprofit, therefore we can't you know, provide that same level of, 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 uh, of technical quality. Uh, you, you know, I, I, I think we have to say, no, nope, we're all part of one mix. And that yeah. seems to be what you're saying, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And, I, and, I, and certainly I know you want to talk about, about VR at some point, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting you know, segue, this idea that, you know, that those screens were beautiful. They are beautiful. And the production of content for those screens was a valuable effort, even if the 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 delivery mechanism was not um new and exciting and interesting for very long it you know it was the the learnings and the the skills and abilities that we aggregated here amongst our staff and whatnot um and the kinds of stories that we could tell because now when you shoot a um you know a picture of a, or a, a, you know, a video sequence of of the forest, you know, the level of detail that's available to you, right? Like those are things that feed back into the sort of artistry of the work that we do. And so technology definitely speaks to that, um, but it's not an end in and of itself. I mean, sometimes it can be, as you, as you said, like sometimes a shiny object is actually fantastic and people love it and, you know, you recognize it for what it is, um, you learn from it and you move on. But, um, but mostly the reason to do these things especially pushing into emerging technologies, is for an understanding of how they're going to affect our process, our flow, our artistry when they're no longer emerging but are now here to stay, you know. That's, that's I think, the the point where we all where we all need to to go uh i think that this is is really instrumental and in fact i want to know uh about vr uh, i will just say that you were the first person when we were sitting next to each other at that conference that finally helped me understand the differences but instead of uh asking you the question here right before break and then cutting you off i'm going to we're going to take our second break just a tad early and when we come back uh Matt Matthew's going to tell all of us a little bit about VR, as well as some other digital trends that uh, are exciting or maybe even concerning. So uh, stay tuned. We will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content. And at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and as you know, I've been having a fabulous conversation with Matthew Tarr, who is the Director of Digital Architecture at the American Museum of Natural History. And if you are just tuning in, I really recommend that you go back and listen to these first two segments. Uh, Of course, you should listen to all of the segments of all of my guests, but I think these, these two in particular, Matthew, really made some very good points about uh, what it means to be both a, a museum professional in a digital age, whether you are a digital expert or native or whether you are new to this. Uh, it is affecting all of us. And one of the things Matthew and I were just talking about at break, and I think that it's really important. Uh, you, Matthew gave us a good definition, uh, his definition of what digital means, but I think sometimes the, what he, uh, the corollary is, is also very important. And Matthew, what you said was, you know, digital is not a mystery, Uh, None of us should feel that this is beyond our comprehension. Uh, And I think that that's absolutely true. And not only is it not a mystery and it is understandable, I mean, let, let me be clear. I am never going to be a coder. 
I am, you know, should I need something to be coded? I will, you will be the first person I call. Uh, but I can understand the theory and I can understand with your help some of the nuances and what it means and what it takes. And that's one reason that I love attending the MCN conferences every year. They, they're sort of my, my uh, in-service training on this subject. Uh, so that, that's my, my next plug for, uh, for MCN because I think that that is critically important. We can't move forward if we don't have a shared vocabulary. And this is maybe a newer vocabulary, but that does not uh, shirk our responsibilities. And I think that's what you were trying to say, too. For sure, for sure, and I, I appreciate that. Um, I am I'm now on the board of MCN, so I think I get credit for that plug there. So I'll have to report that back as uh, I've yeah. done my work for the month. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, With but no, absolutely. Stuff. I think that to, to your to just to reiterate what you were saying, or to to, to even put a finer point on it. I mean, ninety percent of what digital means um, is not a mystery and that and that by 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 digging into that 90 percent as a as a person you know who's intelligent and concerned and, and interested in learning uh, will help you to to trust the people you need to go to for that last 10 percent or and sometimes it's larger percentage but the you know there there are definitely nuances to technology that inform what can be done and some of those nuances are easily understood and some of them are less easily understood but can be explained can be learned you know it is it's not a mystery and i i recognized very early in my career that there was a certain amount of shamanism going on and i sort of decided i really wanted to not um not be party to that and so i i, I try to spend nearly as much time educating the people around me um, as to sort of you know the, the technology and the ramifications of of a given technology over another or or technology in general, um, so I try to spend a fair amount of time doing that just because it amplifies my effect on the world right like the the things that I want to be able to accomplish or that I want to see done um, are are just going to be more effective the more people can be sort of in the loop and and, and rowing the same direction so well, I think, think and and I think this is a perfect segue for you to, uh, you know, share with others what you shared with with me. And so, tell me about VR. I mean, VR right. shouldn't be a mystery, but it does. You know, it has it has that still. It has that sort of patina of that bright, shiny thing, and you right. know, it's the new trend. So, um, you know, help us understand that a little bit. Just one so, uh, okay. Um, uh, so a couple of things. One is that I didn't mention earlier is that the place where I got that job doing the gopher to HTML conversion stuff was actually at the Institute for Simulation and Training in Orlando, Florida, which was basically where the military, especially the Navy, but you know lots of branches of the military, were sort of central. They were they were they were coalescing there around simulation and virtual environments and training and things like that. So I had front row seats to what at the time was just absolutely cutting edge. And I mean, I had, you know, I, I, I wore VR headsets and everything was low poly and the resolution was low and the refresh rate was low, but, but this is not new, right? It's definitely not new. Um, so there are experts, but what I was going to start with was like the beauty of this question coming from you and asking me what is VR is that there's no experts, but there are, they just, it seems, I just, I hope that these companies that are doing VR, that they've hired up all these guys that used to be, and girls and women, excuse me, who used to be working in these labs near, you know, down the hall from me who have 20 
30, you know, more years of experience doing virtual reality. So it's, it's definitely not new, but that doesn't mean we didn't just discover it and think it's new. And this happens all the time, obviously. Think the new world, you know, things like that. But, um, so it's not new. It's, there, there's tons and tons of experience. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I can't remember the name of the fighter plane, but where the, you know, the pilots, they put these helmets on and the airplane disappears and they're actually looking from, you know, at a synthetic image where these, all the cameras are making a singular, pers- you know, a singular perspective and it's as if the pilot is actually just flying, like a flying head. The airplane's disappeared. They can look in any direction and their, then their heads up display reflects that. So anyways, that's, I just wanted to give a little background as to sort of the environment that I think that this current VR, you know, splash is happening in. Um, a lot of people coming to this, um, seeing a lot of promise, and that's for sure. It definitely has a lot of promise. I think what, what I want to touch on or the, the, the issue that we discussed that was sort of the, my pet sort of pedantic, obnoxious nerd argument is the difference between 360 video and virtual reality. Um, and I think what the reason why I think it's an interesting um, argument or uh, that they're not the same thing, right? That, that 360 video is a documentary format that, you know, you, you capture the images from a, from a given place and you play them back and probably on a headset that allows for, you know, you to move your head around and see different parts of the scene. Uh, that they can be still images or they can be video. Uh, they can be very, very captivating. They can be very bad. They can be all kinds of things, right? They can be engrossing or, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's the bottom line. And I think this is one of the things I said to you was the bottom line for me is that while the delivery and the technology is the same, usually, the art forms are completely different, right? There's just almost no relation between the two art forms of 360 video or immersive video or VR video or whatever, you know, people want to call it, and virtual reality, meaning a, you know, artificial environments created that may or may not mimic a, you know, a real environment somewhere, but, um, you know, I mean, the uh, 360 video has no capacity to be interactive. That doesn't mean it can't be utterly and completely convincing and enveloping and, you know, like, I mean, I just went to see Star Wars last week and it was, you know, wonderful. It was, you know, I mean, I was engrossed. I was in it. Um, and, and the screen didn't have to follow me around for that to be true. So I, I think that's sort of the, that was sort of my, my um, soapbox that I, that I was sort of standing on when we were talking about, about these things was the difference between the, the artistry of the two things. And I think that's why, to me, it's interesting, again, is that is that so much of the focus is on the technology when, in fact, the important part is, is the artistry. And I, and I think that comes from just my, my personal understanding, right? So a, a couple of years ago, I, um, I, was, uh, I was exposed to modern dance in a way that I hadn't been before, right? I was, I was going to this gym that had trampoline and tumbling and all this stuff. And I was sort of recapturing my youth and doing all this, all this crazy tumbling stuff and trapeze and things. But, but in the space was all this, it was actually a studio um, for the Streb um, extreme action company, a dance company here in New York. And I met all the dancers and I saw this work that they were doing up close. And I, and I had seen video of modern dance and I always like modern dance. And I just thought, why is the video of modern dance so horrible and modern dance so amazing up close and in person. And, um, and I thought it was a problem of translation, right? So, so I wrote a little grant. I got $3,000, and I got a camera and, a, and some stuff. And I, 
And I did a video where I captured this iconic piece of dance in a way that basically I just just ripped off Nike commercials. And I did all the sort of shot, you know, the shot styles of, of the way Nike was doing things. And I retranslated this dance piece to to video. I discovered along the way that other people who are already doing this, and they call it things like Cinedance or Dance for Film or, you know, the different kinds of things. But, the, but what occurred to me, what I realized was that you cannot move media from, you know, you cannot move content from one media to another. You must retranslate it. And so that the power and the process of retranslating, it, it requires the, you know, the introduction of new, new work, new artistry, new effort, and it creates a new form. So to, to document a stage play, right, you've got to create a new piece of art to document it. You can't just stick a camera with microphones up and capture the stage play. And so we're at the place right now, and, and you've heard this said before, but we're at the place right now with VR where we're just redoing all of our history again, but now putting it in 360 or putting it into a virtual environment. So we're doing first-person shooter games in with a heads-up display, or, or excuse me, with a, with a VR visor, or we're doing... Um, you know, 360 video where it's basically documentary of, of, you know, either poor or high quality, but it's in 360. Um, and people are just learning. We're still, we're so early. They we're just learning how these things can be effective and how they can be useful. And I, I would suggest that we don't even know yet, like, what the thing that really differentiates this art form, you know, um, and it will depend a little bit on the technology, right? Like we need to get the technology to a certain point. But meanwhile, we need to play, we need to experiment, we need to try things so that when it becomes the everyday, I think I already said this, but when it becomes ubiquitous, that we as, the muse- as museum uh, professionals are prepared to, you know, sell our wares in these new markets, you know, these, uh, to to push our content into these avenues. And even if not, even if we're too small of an organization to do that, to push our content into these new uh, channels, these new technologies, we need to be aware that the people coming to our museums are experiencing these things and how they're experiencing them out there in the world because they're bringing those expectations, again, as we said, in with them when they come. So that was a really long way of saying 360 video is awesome but i don't call it i don't call it vr but i know we have to because we need to share vocabulary and and virtual environments are another thing or vr is another thing and of course ar and mixed reality and there's you know this whole salad of terms that are 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 very meaningful at at one level and and of no consequence at at another level and i think that um so I, well, I may have just confused the issue much more than I, than I elucidated. No, no, no. And I, you know, we're 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 running short on time, so I'm going to try to keep my thoughts um, tight. But it, I, I was so pleased that you gave me that definition in November because it helped me understand some of the ads that I was seeing on television at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I don't remember what what the company was, but but they were certainly pushing their you know, 360 video glasses, you know, and that was sort of like the new Christmas present. And I haven't heard whether that really was, you know, the new technology du jour. But what remind, but what, what struck me was, yeah, these are going to be in people's homes. It's sort of like, you know, the electronic version of the Viewmaster, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is dating me, but but that's that's what it is. It's something, you know, you, it's a party game. It's something fun. You know, maybe it's even social. And that our audiences are going to be coming into the museum and whether they 
want that kind of experience or not, they're going to be familiar with it. We're not mm-hmm. creating something ooh new and shiny new. Absolutely. And I think that even just that is like there's this critical distinction between an environment that you enter and stay a while and the idea of a viewmaster. I mean, I, I mean, this is completely um, I haven't thought about this much in a little while, but like I really do like the idea of sort of walking around the museum with a Google Cardboard or a Samsung Gear VR or, you know, basically the virtual viewmaster that you're describing and you just lift it up. Lift it up and look through it, almost like, I don't know, virtual binoculars or something like that. And you just get this momentary experience of something, maybe maybe uh, inhabiting that diorama in front of you, and then you put it down, right? That is so different than, you know, getting hooked into a room-scale VR and staying for seven, eight minutes if you're not the kind of person that gets nauseous and experiencing in a, in a completely uh, immersive environment. Like, I, I think that... These are these are very different, right? Even though they're both using the same technology, and in that case, they're both actually VR. They're still they're still very different, right? Like this sort of temporary, you know, use of uh, like you said, the ViewMaster is very different than putting on a helmet and going somewhere else, you know. Uh, and I think these are important distinctions to talk about. Like I'm, I'm all for labels, and you know, it's funny because I, I think as a programmer, I often say the hardest thing to do is to name something. But as a parent, I know that words matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, yes. it's just one of those things that I get. I, I spend way too much time arguing about. No, no. But, you know, sometimes. but I just want to make one other point um, that, that is occurring to me as, as you make this description is that what technology, what this what all technologies are doing, but what this digital world is is doing for us as museum professionals is it in a way it is freeing us to to become more you know we we say we're storytellers, but now we can become directors of that story. Now we can become artists in a, in communicating what we know in completely new ways and i i think that's terribly exciting yeah no i i would actually almost say i think we probably have to we probably have to become artists and to begin telling stories in in some of these new ways and it doesn't mean abandoning the old as we said like i i came to work in museums because i love museums i loved them when i got here i'm not here trying to change them because i don't love them you know i did a a flash talk um, at Museums on the Web, I think, a couple years ago called Museums Are Not Broken. I mean, I love museums, you know. and uh, But but we yes. do have to just sort of, you know, stay stay relevant, you know, get new yes. audiences, you know, that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry I've got to cut this short. I have enjoyed this conversation mm-hmm. so much, Matthew, but it is at the end of our hour. So thank you very much for being on the show today. It's been my pleasure. And we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. I hope you tune in. Uh, Thanks so much. This is Carol Bossert. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.